The following podcast contains adult language and themes that may be unsuitable for some listeners. You've been warned. Where do we go from here? For the podcast, for the country, and even the world, where do we go from here? Well, I hope to answer that question today with the help of my awesome panel of different voices who are surrounding me right now. And with no further ado, this is season two of the Going There podcast. Taboo Topics are back on the table. So you might have noticed something's a little bit different. I mean, a lot different. More than anything, if you're watching this, you can actually see us. So we're doing every episode, full video, multi-camera shoot in our studio for season two. And uh, it will be available on our uh, website at thegoingtherepodcast.com. And there's a link to our YouTube page where you can check out every episode as well as some extra snippets and some fun things where we'll probably do, say some wrong things and make some bloopers today. So I hope that we do. First things first, let's talk real quickly about the format. So it went from season one, we had three hosts and then we'd have a guest. Uh, this season is going to be pretty much one facilitator, myself as the host and a panel of people. Uh, a lot of times, different people, different voices, different backgrounds and disciplines. And I think that is going to make for a far more interesting uh, tr treatment because we get to have candid conversations and get away from doing more Q&A style um, podcast episodes. So I, I'm really excited about this. This is our first one that we're doing. And uh, I just think it's going to be great. And the reason it's going to be great is because we do have a great panel with us today. So let's go around and introduce ourselves. So let's start with Chris. I'm Chris Harris. I'm a communications professional and a TV and film songwriter. Yeah, and those of you may have uh, heard his voice and remembered, that sounds pretty familiar. He was in season one where he talked about being the vaccine guinea pig. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. That's a good tee up for BJ. Hi, my name is BJ Halsall. I'm a virologist and a film producer, actor, as well as theater, dance. I do a lot of stuff. Arts and science. And his name's BJ, my two favorite letters put together. Um, and next we have Rachel with us. Hi, thanks for having me. My name is Rachel Adela. Um, I am a preschool teacher in Northeast Ohio here, um, which basically means I do a lot of stuff too. <laughs> um, acting and directing and- <laughs> Just in a different um, way. Wrangling, <laughs> all kinds of things. So we're all cat herders today. Correct. Uh, and last but not least is Portia. Hello everyone, my name is Portia Brenner. Um, I'm an actress, a casting director and a writer. Um, and I've, I've worked with Matt on a few um, industry projects. And you know, so I'm glad to be here. Glad to have, be a part of the conversation. And part of the reason that she's a good part of the conversation was kind of in the beginning, right before actually we started doing season one, there was, I mean, we talked a lot about uh, social media through season one and how it's devolved into this awful place. And one of the first arguments where I 
I was like, wow, people really can be shitty is when some guy started going off on like racism isn't real and Portia had to jump in and be like, hold on a second, dude. What you're talking about, you don't understand because I'm a woman of color who has kids who go to school and he was arguing about the education system and how race doesn't play into it. And I was I was taken aback that some basic white dude really thinks that he knows more than other people who experience the shit. And that's why, that part of why I think you're great at, you know, adding your voice and not being afraid to tell people to shut the fuck up. Thank you. So season one, you know, anyone who listened to it understood like where we were. And so I've gone back and re-listened to some of it. And it's so funny because each episode is like a mini time capsule. It was like at that period of time, like we started it right after the 2020 election. And we're like, oh, things aren't going to get like, oh, the, the, the denials of votes and stuff. It won't get worse than this. And then January 6th rolls around. We're like, oh, it won't get worse than this. And then January 6th trials start and people are like, that's ah, fake news. And so the question really is, where do we go from here? So let's start with how has the last couple of years been for each of you? A blur. Yeah. Like, yeah. What year was that that season one started? Was that 2020? Yeah. Yeah. 2020, I just think COVID and I don't really remember a whole lot from that. Yeah. Was there a 2021? Does anybody have proof that that existed? (laughs) Time is a flat circle anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like 2020 was bad. 2021 was worse. I started 2022 thinking that it was going to get worse. Somehow it feels better to me, but I'm still not sure. Right. I'm, I, it's just, it's so bizarre because I remember even you can kind of hear it in our voices. I mean, we we're heading into the dark winter. We're like, but this is it. You know, it feels like every three months we go, we're over this hump. This is it. It never became it. And not just with COVID, with everything. I, have you guys had fallouts of relationships due to political, social? Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, there have been some relationships that I've had to sever ties with, right? But I know where people stand, and I think that's valuable information. So even though, like, you might have a relationship with someone where, hey, you know, it, this ends, that season ends. You know where they stand and yeah. yeah, if it doesn't align, you got to let it go. And and I think the biggest thing that I noticed was initially it was being mad at people for having what we considered the wrong views. But then it evolved into feeling bad for so many people who believed things like the election was stolen and that COVID wasn't real and, and things like that. So it went from being willing to sever those relationships and being done with it to wishing you could connect with those people and help them not to say that we knew everything or I knew everything, but right. just wishing things weren't so divided. Did Have any of you tried to recap, like reconnect with people who you felt bad about? Because I personally have, and they may as well have just been like, no, fuck you. I'm glad that you're gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Um, I, I think the word that I would use to sum up the last two years would be exhausted. And I am just, I am tired on a bone deep level of having to explain why people should care. And I I don't feel compelled to explain it. I don't mean that it's my job to educate everybody on why you should care, but it's hard to feel like I care about this. And it's, it feels like a common sense thing. Why isn't it important to you also? Yeah. Even if you don't agree with the politics or you don't agree with certain aspects, like 
why are you apathetic about the idea of people suffering? Or why are you apathetic about the idea of like people dying? I hated wearing a mask. I hated it. But I did it because I understood why we were doing it. Yeah. And I didn't think it was it was a little freedom that I was willing to give up because I understand that it's, you know, the sun doesn't rise and set in my backyard. Wait, it doesn't? Not you this guys, week. guys, <laughs> take this down. The no sun reach. does not set or rise in <laughs> Rachel's backyard. You heard it here. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I it's going there podcast. I share anything that uh, won't get my wife or anybody real close to me in trouble. So I'm happy to share it. Like there's a huge fallout in my immediate family. And it, I've become the black sheep because... I'm immunocompromised. I have asthma. Um, and my certain people refused to get vaccinated. And there was no conversation. And when I tried to appeal to their empathy and just like sense of humanity, it was kind of like, well, why do you care what we do? And it's like, because I still want to be a part of the family. And so, when yeah, it's really hard to like you used to think that you could appeal to people's sense of empathy and humanity. And some of that has just gone out the window. So uh, there's no better place to start than let's talk about specifically COVID. Chris, you, like we talked about in season one, were a test subject for the vaccines. And then you went back and did the new round too when they were doing the boosters, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it started in 2020 when my son got COVID and it was a really scary time, right? Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of information. And yeah, as a parent, I'm just worried about his well-being. I mean, we all were. So I joined the Pfizer trial. And then once uh, they made a booster, they invited me to the booster trial. So this guy is fully vaxxed and boosted. And he tested for you. Don't forget that. And you. And me. And you. And mostly me. And we also talked about it in, in your episode, like... It was really important, I think, that a person of color was a proponent of the vaccine because even people who were politically aligned with us were like, oh, no way I'm getting vaccinated. Even some people who I was surprised about were very anti-vaccine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, even I had family members who were just very hesitant, right? And I can understand that they're coming from a place of love, but I don't want to sound corny or anything, but I felt like this was like my duty. This was the one thing that I could do to hopefully make a difference. And it's a small piece, you know, because there are a lot of people that were doing this. Yeah. But yeah, it was for everybody. I, I think it's my lack of awareness of understanding how much distrust there is of the medical community from the black community. For sure. For good reasons in a lot of the cases, I think. Portia, uh, BJ, like, I mean, what have your guys' experiences been with that whole dynamic of the distrust of the medical community and pushback on vaccines? You're the virologist, so I'll, sure. I'll take your lead. All right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. I grew up during AIDS, you know, the worst part of AIDS. So when I was 10 years old, it was 1990, uh, people were coming down with AIDS every day. HIV was the virus at the time that everybody cared about. And that led me to be, to want to make a cure for AIDS. And uh, I got as close as I could. I made an HIV vaccine uh, in 2004. Um, but you know, there, there are a lot of steps in making a vaccine. So 
one of the early steps. It was didn't seem like it was going to go better than any of the others. So, uh, you know, we had to stop. Um, but, you know, I, I got that far in my goal. So to see people actually think that vaccines are bad, it, it just, it, it blows my mind. I, I don't understand it. Like, I don't, there's not going to be one person in the world that can explain to me why somebody would think a vaccine is bad. What do you think the biggest misconception is about vaccines in general? Well, and I wanted to look up this guy's name, although I don't think anybody should hear his name. Uh, there was a doctor back in the early 2000s who wanted to try to combine autism uh, with, with vaccines. And nobody could replicate his data. There was no, no logic to what he was saying. And we disproved it a long time ago. That's 20 years ago. So it's like, I don't understand why people today still think there could possibly be anything wrong with a vaccine. Well, because you have an actress from the 80s who wrote a book and people, you know, take it as the gospel. You've saying, got some D-list celebrities <laughs> saying, exactly. saying, this is my way back in. Yay. Exactly. I Wait a second. Kevin Sorbo's not D-list. <laughs> oh, uh, how dare you, sir? <laughs> he was Hercules. He is since he cut his hair. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, the, the What was her name, though? The actress who's married to Donnie Wahlberg. Um I don't, I can't Jenny McCarthy. Name. Jenny McCarthy. Oh. You know, she's like, my child has autism and it was because of a vaccine. I'm a mother of a child with autism. I'm also a mother of a child who is immunocompromised. And if the trade-off were my child being autistic to save her life, there, especially when we know that that's not true. Mm-hmm. But if I were rolling the dice, I would roll the dice to save my child's life and prevent them from a lifetime of, you know, even disab- disability from an illness that could be prevented. Yeah. And the sidebar to that is autism is not, where's, wh- why the stigma with that? Yeah, like, absolutely. So what? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think I, I got a room full of little kids, all right? I've seen a lot of behavior, a lot of personalities, I would venture to say that most people are on the spectrum. Oh, yeah. I think so. I think that's a safe assumption. What's the problem? Yeah. What's wrong with that? So if a vaccine amplifies it or brings it to the forefront, so And again, if if they found the evidence that it actually did, then you adjust the vaccine. But the fact that there is no evidence is why there's nothing you can do. And there's so many things that we don't know when it comes to science and medicine, right? So many unknowns. That's why it's research. I mean, that's why probably... Most of what you do is still research and reading and trying to figure it out, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you stop learning, you just stop growing and you just stop as a person. Yeah, so the problem was, of course, yeah, these people come out and they say it and it's like they're a celebrity. And then when another celebrity comes out, you should get vaccines. Celebrities should stop telling us what yeah. to do. There is, it really boils back down to probably the theme of all of these things that we talk about is People don't care about information. They care about affirmation. I already feel this way. So I'm going to find shit that tells me exactly that. They and, seek out the, the echo chambers. Yeah. And they, I, well, I've done my own research. Dude, Googling is not researching. <laughs> like typing in stuff, like I could, I'm doing research right now, honey. I'm watching porn. Like <laughs> that's, that's not research. You're finding blogs deep on the web, kevinsorbo.com and, and you're reading these things going like this is research these are facts and i used to like hercules a i mean lot. it was a great Did show you? you're it a piece of like your childhood died Vena. oh my and god hercules like, was like in the top three contenders for superman 
And who got Superman? Dean Cain, another oh. Kevin Sorbo of our day. Yeah. <sighs> Heartbreaking. <laughs> that, watched, that's a whole. <laughs> we watched two of the most like epic heroes turn into psychopaths. What happened? Stop killing our childhood. Yeah. Please. Yeah, I know. Please. Seriously. We have very little. I'm glad that Mr. Rogers died when he did because I, <laughs> if they would have come out and tried oh to cancel God. him over a note that is like he wrote a dirty note to one of the cast members or something years ago, I'd have been like, that's it. I can't. I give up on this world. You're never going to change your sweater again. <laughs> the present day one, if Tom Hanks ever, if Tom Hanks is ever on that list, I, I'm, I'm out. I'm Remember, he was, he was one of the first people who got COVID and you're like, you Just, better not take, take <laughs> Tom you, Hanks. Don't you dare. The poor guy's been stranded on an island. You know. Well, Fred Savage right now is under investigation for something and it's like the wonder right. Kevin Arnold get your life right <laughs> that was really sad I hope it's not true but you know uh, it's just anytime that stuff happens you just try not to be shocked anymore yeah. the Me Too movement shined a bright light on the stuff that had been happening in the dark for so long and there was so much pushback not because I think your average person is an asshole I think it's because you don't want to believe that people really are that shitty. Like, how could Matt Lauer, this guy I trust who, who's, I mean, he's a trustworthy newsman. How could he be doing these things? You know, when Harvey Weinstein comes out, it's like, okay, yeah. yeah. Even like Louis C.K., it's like, that makes sense. <laughs> but then the Matt Lauer's, like some of these, some of these like really, you the, know. Uh, SNL guy turned politician. I'm forgetting Al his name. Al Franken. Al Franken. Oh. Who steps down over very little. I think he shook someone's hand. Yeah. Was that the whole thing? Maybe he did something a little bit more, but it, it's like. It was a photo from, I think, maybe the 80s uh, with a female um, soldier. And he was going like that. Yeah, he was motioning like he was grabbing her boobs. Yeah. But and not actually yeah, touching. Yeah, he, he, he was a comedian it was who like did this. something perceived yeah. as funny. He, he didn't physically touch her. He insinuated right. that he was grabbing her. That's, and that's where, you know, I feel like integrity died after that. Yeah. It was like, think when that about- that happened, I was like, this is yeah. a little too far. Well, I was like, well, that, you know what? Maybe people will follow his lead. No. People double down. It's like, did you say this? Well, I said it, but people don't take me seriously. <laughs> did you incite a riot? Well, yeah. <laughs> but no one really thought I was being serious. I mean, they only shot a couple of cops on their way. It doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, Tucker Carlson's defense was, I'm not really news, I'm entertainment. <laughs> but you're on a news station. Are you, though, Tuck? Pretending to be news. And, and people believe what you're saying. Yeah. Look, if you want to make an opinion, we're an opinion show. I said it in the very first episode of the first season. We're not here to give you the news. We're not here to, like, just share facts. Because I think personal stories have a much better chance of trying to appeal to people than just data. We have seen some people don't care about data or facts. But I do have a problem when you dress up opinion as news. And you call it news and you label it as news. And they can scream till they're blue in the face that it's their First Amendment right. But First Amendment, the First Amendment, the freedom of speech does not cover misinformation and disinformation or libel or slander or any of those things. I get so frustrated too with the argument of my free speech rights, my free speech rights. That's fine, but freedom of speech does not mean freedom of consequences. And right. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the four year old card again, and I'm gonna say, you know what? I've got 
almost 20 kids who understand that every choice they make, every word they say, there is a consequence to it. And I know a lot of adults who do not get that concept. Good, good consequence, bad consequence. Every choice, every time for every person. It's easy. And I also think the other argument is whatever works for me in this moment. And that's all that matters. Freedom of speech matters until you say something I don't like. And then, you know, it's kind of like cancel culture. They're trying to cancel us. So let's cancel them. So it's not really about freedom of speech. It's not even about the word freedom because they people use that. People use the word freedom as this drum and they bang it and they bang it. And it's like, that's our freedom. And it's like, yeah, but you're infringing on our freedoms. Well, we don't care about your freedoms. Yep. Right. This is our freedom. We were just down in uh, on a travel shoot in uh, a small little town in Colorado. Colorado is largely progressive, but this was Lauren, Lauren Bobart territory. And I see signs of her everywhere that say freedom. Yeah, it's annoying. And yeah, it's kind of funny. But it's also really sad because they took a word that is meant for all of us that especially is more important to some than others, some who had to fight pretty much everybody but me and BJ at this table had to fight to earn it, you know, through the years. And then they weaponized it to be like, well, this is real freedom. This is liberty. What you're talking about, homosexuals having freedom? Nah. Black people having freedom? Nah, I mean, come on. It's, it's weaponized horseshit. So there's two things that I want more of in my life. And that would be rhythm and booze. And so we're going to do a little musical break. Season two, we are still continuing to have musical artists every episode. And our man here, Chris Harris, he was just in our studio where he performed some live music for uh, an awesome crowd. And so we're going to listen to some of Rhythm and Booze. Now I'm in the house on the couch with my favorite psychologist and my favorite teacher and all the features blew my mind like speakers. It's really too bad I couldn't reach her. And that's the thing about it. I wish them all well, but you could tell some days I still think about it. I reflect as I'm sipping my brew. All I need is my rhythm and booze. Had you ready to choose? If you feel it, then I'm speaking to you. All I need is my rhythm and booze, my rhythm and booze. Hold hands playing slow jams. Park the car in the dark just to slow dance. It's the only thing I'm listening to. All I need is my rhythm and booze, my rhythm and booze. This is not booze. <laughs> but I'm trying to get into my this rhythm. This is booze. <laughs> that might be booze. You know, we we're talking about COVID. COVID has drastically changed what children's lives look like today. Well, we were just joking with one of the crew guys, Mike, the other day. He's like, you know, the young kids I know, they're never in school. Like I'm always talking to them and it's like, what are they doing today? They're not in school. The remote learning. I mean, how crazy has that been for you guys with kids like, and, and, and people who teach? I come at it from two angles. I do not have children of my own, um, but I've got a room full that I am responsible for. Um, I'm also an aunt to, I've got 22 at last count who call me Aunt Rach. So that's that's a lot. Can we call you Aunt Rach? You can absolutely call me Aunt Rach. All right. <laughs> but I'm not buying birthday and Christmas presents for you. Um, it, it's hard because there are, like, my kiddos have never known a normal school year, right. ever. Mm-hmm. How about, I don't know how old your kids are. My son's six, but 
normal to him at school is like wearing a mask, um, taking COVID tests at home. Just well, I'm a hypochondriac anyway, so it's like <laughs> Chris invented cough. COVID test yeah. before COVID was a thing. Oh yeah, yeah, right in my my kitchen. But uh, yeah, like that's uh, the norm for him. Um, and I think about how different that is from how I was raised. And I've just I'm not wearing a mask right now, but I typically wear a mask when I'm at work or just throughout the day. And like, even right now, this just feels different for me. So I can only imagine what that feels like for him. Right. For me, it became um, an attack on my parenting because I was in a community that I considered progressive. Um, but my daughter, who's an asthmatic, when rumblings of COVID first began, I proactively removed my kids from school because I wanted to keep my daughter safe. I was doing what was best for my daughter. And I had teachers and administrators telling me I was overreacting. Um, so, so that was difficult. And then it made you, me question myself, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I overreacting? Or am I doing what I feel is best for my child? Um, so that was difficult. And then when, you know, everyone was remote learning, it was fine. But then when we had the option to go back, because so many parents were like, I need my, my kid can't learn at home. Like, Okay, but why not? Our district, yeah, our district. Where am I supposed to get yeah. drunk? <laughs> exactly. The kids at home. This whole when I thing heard is that, I'm just like, why not? Like, right? why can't they learn at home? And I mean, I understand that b different people have different learning yeah. capabilities and ways to learn, but it also opens up a whole new can of worms of ex um, access. Yeah, internet there access, um, mm -hmm. instructional access. Um, if your kid's on an IEP, or if your kid has. Um, any kind of, you know, like you said, the different learning styles, any kind of differences sitting in front of a computer screen. I can't learn that way. I, right. I cannot. Um, but you plunk your kid down and then you add in, I mean, what's the average class size? How old's your daughter? Uh, my youngest is 15. My oldest is 18. Okay. So you add in a Zoom screen with a minimum of a dozen teenagers. No. Yeah. That's not happening. Right. No. I mean, how many... How many Zoom meetings have you been in <laughs> where you've been like, oh, I'm totally listening. Never. <laughs> These minds aren't going to sweep themselves. And I just showed my age. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, my gosh. I, it's, it's crazy. And, and the sad, sad part of it is that's only part of the stress, right? I mean, there's lots of things, but let's talk a little bit about just the general safety. So yeah, I know people who are like, I'm so tired of the kids being at home. I'm sending them back. I know people who moved out of state because they thought Ohio was too strict, which I will say in the beginning, Ohio did a really good job oh, with COVID. For and sure. then for about two weeks. For about two weeks. <laughs> we were jamming for two weeks, man. Ohio was the shit for two <laughs> weeks. You know how hard it was to, to say you agreed with Mike DeWine? I know. <laughs> I know. It was a right. difficult I, thing. God, <laughs> I bought a t-shirt that says it's DeWine o'clock. Oh. 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 And, and and then everything rolled like. And then I was like, no. And then you sobered not. up. And you're like, this was a bad buy. This was terrible. Yeah. It's two o'clock somewhere. Why, no. Why is this no. too quality to rip? Yeah. <laughs> why is it say made to in China? I'd give a shout out to Dr. Amy Acton. Oh, yes. Absolutely. She was the heart and soul of the COVID uh, protocol in the beginning. So. And, and bless that woman. We talked about that a little bit in, I think, your first episode where we were saying she was getting death threats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And oh, simply by speaking the truth that the data and the facts show. For doing right. her job. Yes. Right. To help yeah. people. Oh, I want to kill you because you want to help me. And that's what where, is that? and that's <laughs> where our governor, uh, Mike DeWine, did a good job 
was because he said, you do not attack her. If you have problems, you come to me. And so that was, I thought he I did I was really a, proud of him. I, I thought he did yeah. a great job. And then he gave into political pressure from the right and everything kind of fell apart. And that plays right into kind of what I wanted to bring up next was people uh, are witnessing a huge rise in mass shootings and school shootings. I mean, I remember I was in high school when Columbine happened. I think I was a junior in high school. That was shocking. And you're like, that would never happen here in a million years. And now it's like almost weekly, there's something. And we've had some ha happen right here in Ohio, not too far away. There was one of the major ones. What was that? The, um, was it Chardon? Chardon, I believe so. At first, it was like COVID. We're all in this together. Here's the facts. We got to fight back. But as soon as somebody said, well, let's start looking at guns. It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. Like, we don't <laughs> want to wear masks. We're just saying COVID's scary. Same kind of thing. We, we're not saying we want to stop the shootings. We're just really sad that they happened. How does it feel to have kids in this world knowing about that? Being, I mean, we, even if you don't have kids, I don't have kids. We're going to talk more about kids in the, the future in, in, uh, in our next episode. But for right now, I mean, what's it like looking a bunch of, young kids in the face and going, man, you guys are, you guys are screwed. It's hard. It's hard. And I'm not even, I'm not mom. Yeah. But for some of them, I'm, I might be their, not their only, but maybe their safe, you know, their primary safe grown up. And I'm the one that's got to keep everybody's voices really low. And we're going to, we're going to read a book while we do a, a drill. Or, or we're gonna we're gonna pretend we're camping and we're in a cave and you know, like it, it's tough. I can't imagine being a parent. No, my heart goes absolutely goes out to you guys. The the most frightening thing for me now is how normalized it's become. Yeah. When we were kids, we did tornado drills. You yeah. sit up against mm -hmm. the wall and you put your hands over your head to protect from glass. Our kids now do lockdown drills and. You know, they're in closets. They're practicing to be quiet. They're told, you know, pick up the trash can and throw it if someone comes in. And it's like, that's not their job. And the teachers this past year in the district we live in were given those orange uh, construction buckets from Home Depot with a shower curtain, hand sanitizer, um, di just a different things in case a child needs to go to the bathroom during a lockdown. And now we get text messages. My, my daughter, my older daughter, senior in high school, she just graduated text me. She said, hey, before you see it on Facebook, I want you to know we're in a, a lockdown. And the school hadn't contacted us. You couldn't get through, you know, rightfully so. They had other priorities. But I had to listen to a police scanner to see if I could mm. hear what was going on. And the police in our community were very proactive and they were on top of things. But as a parent, to get that text message of, hey, just so you know, I could not imagine if that's the last text I got from my child. And thoughts and prayers do not comfort you when you hear it happens to other families. Thoughts and prayers. We're going to do an episode on that soon, too. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers are like some of the most offensive things when you're in action or worse, reverse action on the other side of it. The, the amount of people who've sit there and sat there and said, oh, we, our hearts go out to them. We'll do something to change it. Well, <laughs> that's asking way too that much. Would in, that would infringe on my freedom. I, I guess the little bit of me that was still maybe naive or hopeful or optimistic, whatever word you want to use, was still surprised a little bit in what has happened over the last year 
with the guns and the shooting and the lack of, I mean, they finally passed some bills, but too little, too late doesn't even begin to describe it. I'm glad they did something, but is it really going to change things? It's tough. It's tough to think about that, you know, a school could be a place where a gunman could walk in and open fire on children, teachers, staff. It's just not something that I would ever fathom, right? Right. Um, I work at a medical examiner's office, so I'm around death 24-7, basically. It's what I, like, the first thing that I see in the morning. And death has become very normalized in my life just based on the line of work that I do. Um, but I got to tell you, I'm just really exhausted right now. I have to turn, I have to turn the news off a lot of times just because it's all that I consume every day. And yeah, I just, I worry about just this world right now and where we're headed. And I wish I had the solutions, but I, I just don't even know. Yeah. The, the, the solutions, uh, short term, are vote. Vote for yep. people who have your kids' interests in mind. Um, and I understand the kind of the disenfranchisement that comes with it because, let's be honest, there's extremes on both sides, and, and they, they're exhausting. Um, but it blows my mind that the things that could have brought us together, that could have you know, united us instead of divided us, have somehow weaponized things that are just common sense. So we're talking about the vaccines, we're talking about COVID, um, guns and gun laws. Like, I just don't understand the trajectory we're on. It's, it seems to be benefiting a very small few and people aren't going to be around that much longer. And we're just not focusing on what really matters and what's going to keep us around. I mean, as humanity, not just our kids, uh, climate change. We're, we're, I mean, there was a big push just last few years of we need more coal. <laughs> when every piece of data says that that destroys our environment, we're not going to have a planet left to live on. Why are they still pushing? Obviously, we know why. They're, their pockets are lined with something. Yeah. It's money, money, money. Um, I, I do want to take a step back, though, and ask you, BJ, um, because you've been very vocal online. I, I tend to be, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> he t he told me he told me before this episode he's like you're gonna have to like edit me like crazy cause yeah I'm holding back so far you're but... being objective and I don't know how objective I can be it's got to be beyond frustrating we've talked about this that you spend your life studying right for a science and you devote your energy and your passion and your skills to that and some asshat with maybe a third grade <laughs> education comes right. out of the woodwork and goes. No, uh because uh, I heard that uh, it, fill in the blank. It, it, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I I could be shouting right now because that's how I feel about it. Uh, I, there was a a World Health Organization, obviously a group that only wants to do good. They have no, they don't benefit at all from what they're doing. Right. You know, and you've got people commenting and the most vocal people who are commenting are naysayers like the vaccine's not real. The virus isn't real. Just do whatever you want. And I'm just like, OK, here's a few facts. And I'm getting like shit posted. Is that <laughs> is that a term? Like These people are trying to attack me. I'm like, well, you know, I'm a virologist and I don't want to knock anybody's profession. But like, you know, I'll look at them and it'll be like, OK, I'm a mechanic. 
okay, I mean, that's a very important job. But if we're talking about viruses and virology, who are you going to listen to? Some guy that works on your car or some guy who's actually made a vaccine for HIV? Right. Like, <laughs> it just blows my mind. And that, Oh, it just, it, <laughs> oh, gosh. And I'm so grateful for people like you who, who have dedicated their lives to that. And I would never, I wouldn't dream. I'm not a doctor. I didn't go to med school. I would never dream of walking into the American Medical Association and saying, all right, guys, hey, here's how we're doing this now. Right. I would not. I could see you walking in being like, I need to speak to your manager. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, did you just call her a Karen? Karen vibes, huh? Shots fired. (laughs) (laughs) He went there. No, but really, like, I I would never dream of saying, okay, okay, you went to school. The amount of, the amount of, the amount of like hubris and, and just like narcissism that it takes to question people. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Experts in the field. Hey, if I need my car fixed, I'm coming to you. Right. If you need your body fixed, come to me. (laughs) Exactly. BJ, let me ask you, what would you like to see us do just as a society as far as combating COVID-19? Like maybe what can we do better? What aren't we doing that we should be doing? What should we stop doing? (laughs) What should we stop doing? Well, basically everything. But uh, I mean, the main things are get vaccinated, be up to date on your boosters. That's kind of the same point. Um, you know, vaccination and boosters is number one. Wear a mask. I was going to ask if we were all going to be masked today, but I know that we're all vaccinated. So I feel much more comfortable uh, being here. And I would probably take off my mask because I do act and act without my mask on camera. Um, but I do want to just show the people. That- he looks like George Clooney under that, just in case you're wondering. Um, you know, it's not that hard to wear a mask. It sucks, like you said. It's an inconvenience. It, Nobody's it saying it's great. You know, my glasses keep I mean, clogging I'm up. I'm like, great, do I look good? You know, what, what does my face look like? What's it doing to my beard? You know, I have but, to say it's an inconvenience. Like I hate, I still, you know, when I fly, I'm one of like usually five people on a packed airplane wearing it. I'm asthmatic. It's, it's not fun to breathe. Okay. Anymore. It, yeah. It's incredibly inconvenient. And trying to do any kind of exercise. Yeah, you just can't. Like, oh, but back to back to what the things we can do and should do: vaccinate, wear a mask if you go outside your house because you don't know who else you're going to be dealing with during the day. I'm very happy to say that everyone here is vaccinated. And I would say be choosy about where you go and who you're spending time yeah. with, right? And that's my third point. There's not really a good reason to go out in public, and if you do, try to make sure everyone there is vaccinated. And wearing masks. And, and unfortunately, that's been politicized because when you ask people, there are people who will get offended by it. And so I always just turn it back on myself and I go, well, I'm, I'm compromised. And so I'm trying to be safe. And so usually, I think the average person's like, okay, no, I get it. You got to do what you need to do. But you go hide in that corner over there and the rest of us will live our lives, which I hate because we would not be here right now if everybody had done what we were supposed to do from the beginning. Right. And that's the infuriating part. I'm not oh. immunocompromised. My husband is, and I work in a petri dish. Like I might as well just you know lick those little kids and just be like, <laughs> all right, good, I got it now. Um, I got vaxxed first before he did because I wanted to make sure that I didn't have any ill effects, and we wanted to make sure that when he eventually got it, because we knew he was going to, we wanted to kind of have a baseline, you know, for our household. And when people say they're not vaxxed, I'm like, thanks, yeah. that's yeah. personal. It's like, why are you trying to kill my 101-year-old grandma? Yeah. Right. Well, that, and the, the big excuse was, well, I mean, they're old and they already have other problems. Oh, my gosh. My cousin actually said that. Yes. 
I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Name checked and everything. Yeah, let's, My let's, goodness. Just, we'll switch to that in post. What the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> the, the craziest argument I heard was that what have they cured with a vaccine in our lifetime? And I'm like, I had chicken pox. Uh, polio. My kids didn't have chicken pox. Smallpox. There would be people who would get upset because I'd say, we're trying to be really careful. And they're like, yeah, but we know that you went somewhere. And it's like, yeah, but you don't know the you you don't know the parameters and the context of where we went and how we did things. I'm very careful. I I pretty much don't hang around with unvaccinated people. Yeah, and if they are unvaccinated it's for a very good reason, and I'm not, and I never said I posted one time like if you're eligible you need to get vaccinated. People are like, well, I'm not, and I'm like, I said eligible. There are some people who were not eligible at certain times. There were still studies that were out. And people, I mean, they just take it as an attack. And I understand because, let's be honest, we all lost our cool at one point, right? We all lost our shit on somebody. Yeah, Facebook bans are real. <laughs> Get that three-day, then the seven-day, then the 30-day, and yeah. And, and I witnessed, I think, a couple of those, and that's why BJ's on our show. <laughs> Fuck you, <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I, I think you bring up something that's that's important, though, because it sounds like you were trying to take precautionary measures. Right. And I think it's important to say, like, you can be as careful as you want to be and you could still get COVID. Right. But it's really about reducing that risk and not, you know, it, it's it's like why I, you wear a seatbelt. Yeah. You know, like, why do you why do you wear clothes? Yeah. Why do you take all these other safety precautions? Well, I'm not going to live in fear. I don't think wearing a seatbelt is living in fear. You know, Jesus, take the wheel is, you know, that's not going to save you. And it's the same thing with the vaccines and just taking the basic precautions. And I mean, I've been around some people who are like extremely anti-mask and anti-vax. And I think it's important to objectively let them know that you don't feel the same way. Because saying nothing will make them believe that you agree. And I think they need, I think people, as people, we learn from the experiences of others. That's why there's a panel. I certainly don't have all the answers. Like you guys have already shared so much valuable information that I just don't experience. And I think when you can hear from somebody else, while you might feel that way, sir, ma'am, I could get sick and it might kill me. And you might think I'm a perfectly healthy, you know, young man, but you don't know all of these facts. And think about it. There's people with much worse conditions out there in the world that you might be infecting because you just don't give a shit. I think it's important to let people know you give a shit. And there's, I think there's also a way to do it where it's not a, well, screw you, you know, and the horse you rode in on. Calling people idiots doesn't work, <laughs> believe it or not. I've watched it. I've I, watched it. I wish it did. I help myself from calling people <laughs> idiots, but, you know, it's like, I know it doesn't work and I'm like, I'm just up against a wall. What else can I do? What could I possibly do? There was another person who was supposed to be at the table today and he called me two hours before we started and said somebody at work was exposed to covid and i can't take the chance and i remember thinking i remember thinking back when you and i were sitting down i was like man i can't wait until next year when we can do these things in person not have to worry about that covid bullshit. just never thought we'd still be here hey matt what is the name of your of this episode where do we go from here? So in March of 2020, I decided to write my first feature film. Uh, I had turned 40 the month prior and uh, 
the month prior to that, my, one of my best friends died. So here's to you, RJ Lacey. That same night, one of my other best friends, Quentin, he called me. Um, and I'm like, Quentin never calls me. And I just kept getting a little emotional here. Um, and I'm just going in my brain. I'm like, RJ's dead. Like, that was the only reason that he would ever call me. I just braced myself for it, and the news hit. Uh, you know, our best friend RJ had died. Uh, and so I didn't really get a birthday party. Like, I couldn't, after I learned that news, I just couldn't put it together or anything. And right. very few family members came, and that was about it. It was my 40th birthday. I wanted to do something fun. I wanted to do something big. And then, you know, a month later, COVID. <laughs> And those uh, two aren't related, right? Not related. <laughs> uh, but to, to bury the, bury the lead, is that it? Um, I decided to make a feature film. Uh, so I started writing it and I called it, where do we go from here? I swear. I did not know that before <laughs> we sat enough. down and, and that's been the nice little kismet of these episodes is like things just find a way to work out this, this panel came together. Some of it the last minute because of COVID problems and it, uh, it's just found a way to work out. That's why I feel like what we're doing matters. For me, there's intrinsic value because I, I think it's important to have these conversations. Somebody at one point uh, said, gave me some feedback and said, you should take the word taboo out of it because what you're talking about isn't taboo. That's the point. These are not supposed to be taboo conversations. As humans, even if we are completely you know, different-minded in our social life and politically everything else, we should still be able to talk about these tough things. It matters to me what you do with your life when it affects me. And I should be able to tell you that in an objective and kind way that isn't immediately, um, you know, turned into a fight or, 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 you know, weaponized to use back against me. And it's even people who I agree with on most things who That's I find myself getting part. into it. That's the scary part. It's like we have so much in common. How did you lose track completely of your mind on this one subject? So where do we go from here? How do we move like into the future? I, I, I have to be honest. There was, there was a period of time, I would say, and you know, using the podcast as my timeline, between season one and season two, where I just felt deflated and I had lost hope. And it was just kind of like, Ah, I don't know that we can get past this, but I do think part of it was I started to buy into the extremists. I started to believe that we were so different that there is no getting past our differences. This was a divorce, a civil war, whatever you want to call it. I do firmly believe, and my hope has been kind of fulfilled by certain people and situations. I do believe most of us live somewhere in the middle. Most of us are maybe left of center, right of center, and not just politically, but socially, everything. I believe most of us have far more in common than we are dissimilar. Would you guys agree? Absolutely. I mean, so where do we go from here? How do we start to connect with people who might not agree with us 100% on things, but still give a shit about the world and about our well-being, someone who doesn't want to see us suffer. Where do we go? How do we do it? BJ, what's your, what's your script say? <laughs> I don't know why I named it that. I, I, <laughs> it was literally a line in the script 
that I don't remember what the passage was anymore because it's been two years. And, you know, I'll come back to it every once in a while and I just don't think I'll finish it. One, because I'm no longer 40 and it was basically on turning 40. Uh, but there's already a movie called something this like is that. 40? This is 40. You can make This is 45. <laughs> you this, know, it might come out by the this time is I'm 50. We've, we've had enough 45. Oh. <laughs> we've had enough of that. Oh, she yeah. went there. No. We'll go to 50. <laughs> oh. skip that. Yeah, let's, let's oh. get past that yeah. one. But I, I think, if you wanted me to be honest, though, I think it was a very bleak thing. It wasn't supposed to be, where do we go from here? Here's a solution. It's, where do we go from here? It was the feeling of period. hopelessness. Yeah. Because that's how I think we've all used different words to describe it. You guys have said exhausted. I've said hopeless. I mean, it's all that none of it is how life is supposed to be. We're supposed to look to the future and dream about what it can be. Even if we don't fully believe that we're going to get there, it's still good to dream. And I feel like it became impossible to not only see that far in the future, but to feel like things might be better. So I think this is a good time for us to each kind of maybe just to say it out loud to validate your own thoughts. Like, where you think, what you think you can do to make a positive impact to move us forward. And I, the, I'll, I'll start by saying the thing I, I have been trying to do and the thing I'm gonna continue to do is to find those things that I have in common with people, but not ever move that line. My integrity is still intact. I'm still, if somebody says something racist, there's a way to tell them why without finger pointing and saying you're a terrible person. Of course, there's context every situation, but I want to find the common ground. I tried that uh, very politely suggesting that what someone was posting online, which was a pro-police sign of some sort, uh, and how at that point in time, which is pretty much any point in time really, you know, could be taken as they were against black people. And I got blocked right away. I had a bunch of people try to call me and be like, you shouldn't be saying that. I'm like, I was very polite in the way that I said it. What I actually thought of the person was a lot worse. Yeah. But, you know, I was very polite in it and it did not go well. So my advice that I'll give you, because it was given to me actually on the show last season is nothing is going to be solved on social media. Right. And that's yeah. the problem is we were so disconnected through COVID. But that's how that, we that communicate. Was our tool. And I, when George Floyd happened, I mean, we've talked about it on the show. That was kind of my impetus to like, I need to speak up more. There's too many silent white people going like thoughts and prayers at most. And I was like, no, they need to hear from somebody else who's white, who says like, I'm not okay with this shit. And if it means that I got to be proactive and be anti-racist, then that's what I'm going to do. And I was so surprised at how many people who did not like that stance. And, and, and I don't know. I don't know if that's how they really feel or if it's just the misinformation that they're inundated with. You know, one thing I think that uh, we all need to do a better job of doing is listening. I mean, have you ever just noticed like how many people just aren't good listeners? You know, if someone's telling so, you- So anyway, next week- uh, no. This is what I'm talking about. But you know, like, seriously, it's like, and that is some bullshit. When people are telling you how they feel, we need to listen to them. We need to not be so quick to dismiss people's feelings, especially when it comes to minorities, women, black women, especially. Those are the kind of things that we need to do better um, as a society. Uh, and I think that'll help push us forward. 
And having a candid conversation means allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Like in this space, I always allow myself to be vulnerable. And that's really hard to do, but it gets easier the more you try it. And that's, I mean, if you're active listening, you're not just thinking about your rebuttal. You're not just thinking about the next thing you're going to say. Suddenly it, it makes an impact. And I do think part of it is uh, our society with short attention spans and, and really poor communication skills. And it's not always that the person is, again, coming from a shitty place. It's just they do not have the ability that they know of to sit there and listen to you and and take it in. Because it is important. Like, how could you hit, hear Portia talking about, uh, you know, her child being discriminated against, like she was yelling at somebody online, and and not care? It's like, can you not see that as your own kid? Can you not? empathize with what it feels like to be empathy seems to be the biggest problem it's like it's like half the world has it and half the world doesn't and i don't know how to train somebody to be empathetic right like how do you yeah. <laughs> i want you to feel something <laughs> exactly well, I think like you, what do you do i think you answered your own question you continue to be empathetic yeah teach by example but and it's so hard it <laughs> it's it's one of the hardest things to do i'll tell you what Therapy has helped me become more empathetic. And that, I think, is probably one of the best decisions that I ever made in my life was just going to therapy. And I've been in therapy for over a decade now. And I didn't realize just how much empathy that I had. And I was just this empath of a person. I think everybody could benefit. You know? Everybody you should be so in therapy. Right. Like, I mean, we're all, we talked about it briefly, we're all more or less the same age group. You do not spend four decades walking this planet and not have something that you need to talk about. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and I mean, the people, the people who need to hear that more than anything are the older generation because mm -hmm. there's still the stigma. Um, even people who I think are very well-centered are like, well, because it's like, you know, we used to do. We used to push those feelings down and drink them away. Yeah, that's why we're having this conversation. Unfortunately, and it goes back to what I said to BJ, we all go to therapy for the people who won't go. That's absolutely correct. I was I was 30 years old and I um, had just lost, I had all four grandparents until I was 30. I had just lost my grandpa. Um, my sister was going through um, a divorce. I called off a wedding. Um, I, was, I was having a hell of a year, you guys. Mm -hmm. And I found out that I had never known before, but my family has a pretty long history, a long and storied history of depression and anxiety. And I thought this would have been a lot more helpful to know this last week, <laughs> just last week, even, you know, years ago, but a month ago, last week. And it was the kicking, it was like the kick in the pants that I needed to say, oh my God, it's not just me. I can, I got to talk about this to somebody. And I had, I was feeling so alone prior to that. That's, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. There's a massive empathy drought, and I don't know how to teach it. But I think being the safe space for other people, but still maintaining boundaries so you don't take on the weight of everyone else at the same yeah, time. Yeah, we we talked about a little bit uh, last season. There's a book of like bad communication habits, and I always say, you know, I'm the perfect example of like I'm a co-opter. You'll tell me about your problem, and I'll tell you how I understand. I'm trying to connect, but sometimes I co-opt the story and then it becomes about my story, right? And, and some people are quick fixes. Well, if you're having anxiety, you just take some pills. Okay, mm -hmm. next subject. <laughs> uh, and some people are just the person waiting to say 
something instead of actually listening. So we all have these bad communication styles, but I do think that when we go to therapy and we're listened to, at some point you finally become tired of talking about yourself and then you actually do learn to be a good listener indirectly through it. And and I think it's a generational thing and I also think there's a big like you know toxic masculinity thing where oh, men are yeah. like yeah, we don't have to talk about our feelings. You know, yeah. John Wayne be a bullshit. man, right? Yeah, be what, a man. What, what does that mean? Like what does that mean? That means that means that you're a rep- repressed, angry, pent-up incel yeah. who's waiting to feelings, go shoot somebody. You yeah. Know, yeah, it's whack. I, being emotionally intelligent, men, being emotionally intelligent is a turn on to women. I'm just telling you. It is because we are not rehab centers for men who are emotionally <laughs> unavailable. Well, some of you are, nope. but <laughs> <laughs> not anyone at this table. It's we're too tough. It's like, dude, there is nothing tough or cool about being somebody who is either emotionally unavailable or just like, so messed up and unwilling to talk about it that you take it out on everyone around you. And it happens all the time. So we have middle ground. We have therapy. Portia, putting you on the spot, what would you like to see happen or what are you going to challenge yourself to do to see where we go from here, somewhere positive? It's like, what do you do? You know, what can you do outside of your own environment. You know, my biggest thing is making sure that I ensure that the people within my own household are empathetic and take care of themselves mentally and emotionally because there's enough of it out there. I don't want anyone in my house walking out there and putting in more negativity. Um, So a lot of it is just focusing on, on yourself, you know, keeping yourself mentally healthy because if you allow all of the craziness, I got rid of social media. After, in the in light of the George Floyd situation, because it was making me sick. Physically, I was wondering where you went. Yeah, I, I, and that was so hard. It felt like falling off the earth. So many people thought I like something catastrophic happened, but no, I had to prioritize my mental health. Um, so just continuing to prioritize, you know, myself because I can't be a better person for the world if I'm not being a, a great person for well, myself. And you're you're bringing about the next generation yeah. of mentally healthy people. If more parents had that mindset. That's not nothing. Sometimes all you can do is affect your bubble. Portia, let me ask you, because I I think you make a great point when you talk about taking care of your own mental health. I like to think of us as like these cups, right? And we go throughout our day and certain people add to our cup and a lot of people take from our cup, right? What do you do to refill your cup? Like what refills Portia? Oh, my goodness. I'm a mom, so mine has the spout. I'm constantly pouring out, but just knowing that I am providing that balance for, you know, refilling my kid's cup from the what the world throws at them. You know what I mean? Just making sure that I provide the love and support that I wish I had at those ages. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, and I don't want to speak for all moms, but me as a mom, that has become my purpose is ensuring that they feel loved and supported. So it's a victory for me when they've had a good day because there's a lot of times when they don't because of all of the political things and just social, you know, drama and, and the things of the world, even the kids hearing the news is, is emotionally taxing. So, um, you know, I refill my, does a bottle of wine help with, with, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That'll refill you. (laughs) Yeah. That'll refill your cup. Yeah. Balancing the whole, you know, therapy approach, but you know, still keeping some old school tactics there. Well, I just want to thank everybody for being on this first episode and for going there and for even name dropping some family members. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) 
<laughs> Damn it. You guys give me hope about where the season is going to go and where the world's going to go because the more people who think like you and the more people who act like you guys, the better off we're going to be. And I think if, again, we can act with our integrity, regardless of what other people are doing, I'm hoping more people will catch on. I'm hoping more people will see. And I do believe that we have much more in common with our fellow man than, you know, then we are different. And the truth always comes out, right? The truth will always have to come out at some point. We will look back at this time and they will see who were the heretics and who were the rest of us. Uh, does anyone else have anything they'd like to, to add or drop or promote? Uh, I would like to say that Brad's new job, the latest film by The Freak Show, my production company, just earned uh, seven awards last night, the most out of any film for the 48-hour film project. That's awesome. Is that That's for great. Cleveland? Or? Cleveland's, yeah. Yeah. Is there a website that they can go to, people can go to and see it? Uh, if you go to The Freak Show, that's T-H-E space F-R-E-K-E space uh, S-H-O-W-E uh, on YouTube.com. Perfect. Remember the spaces because you might get a whole different level yeah. of content. Yeah. Yeah, you might just go ahead and put that lower third right there. <laughs> That's a slippery slope, my friend. Because I'm a weirdo, I even spell the freak show weirdly. So I love it. Chris, where can everybody check out your music? Oh, boy. Uh, hey, Spotify, Apple Music. Um, you can search under DJ Skrilla. Make sure you spell Skrilla with the dollar sign, C-R-I-L-L-A. And... Uh, yeah, got a lot of exciting stuff for the rest of the uh, remainder of the year. Some of these faces and voices will definitely reappear in the rest of the season. Uh, and so I just want to, once again, thank you guys for going there with me, for kicking off season two. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. We just went there. Now you can go to thegoingtherepodcast.com for links to all the podcast platforms, our socials, and of course, YouTube. While you're at it, give us a rating, share with a friend, and subscribe. This podcast is made possible by its hosts and Frame One Media in association with Lindsay Baker, Joe Cowley, and Bobby Thomas. Bobby Thomas.